Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Michael Warren, who has a terrific piece at weeklystandard.com about uh, Donald Trump and what was really happening on 9-11 and its aftermath. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Before we get to the piece you have, I want to go with the background starting with Saturday night. I talked uh, earlier today to Deborah Burlingame, who's part of the 9-11 Families for Security group that formed after 9-11. Her brother, Chick, was on one of the planes. He was a pilot for American. And uh, she said that uh, she has a lot of friends in the 9-11 community, first responders, firefighters, et cetera, and many of them were pro-Trump. And, quote, he lost them all Saturday night, close quote, was Deborah's analysis with his comments about Bush lying us into Iraq and that 9-11 happened on Bush's watch, implying that it was his fault. Uh, and that brings us forward to the aftermath in South Carolina. How are these attacks on W, these uh, Bush lied, people died, kind of, as I'm now calling uh, him, uh, Rosie O'Donnell? How is Rosie O'Donnell doing as the birther truther candidate in the Republican primary? Right. Donald Trump is now the the code pink candidate within the Republican <laughs> primary. I mean, you know, one thing that we've learned, Michael, from from this election is uh, if, if it uh, supposedly hurts Donald Trump, if that's if that's your takeaway, then you must be wrong. Um, <laughs> So uh, without uh, getting too too much into a prediction that will come back to bite me later, I mean, I do think that this is, is in many ways very different uh, uh, in terms of the Trump gaffe or, or a Trump outrageous statement that uh, that should hurt him. Uh, for one thing, people are voting now and people are just a few days from voting uh, after hearing that uh, that statement and that he made in, in the in the debate. Um, and it's something that ultimately, I think, attacks what you might call regular Republicans. Regular Republicans have spent, I think, the better part of uh, you know a decade and a half, essentially defending George W. Bush uh, on the lines of attack that Trump has just taken. I mean, these are the attacks that Code Pink, Michael Moore, uh, daily, a lot of the bloggers at the Daily Coast uh, have been making uh, against George W. Bush that he somehow knew something before 9-11 and didn't do anything about it, uh, that he was somehow complicit. I mean, it's getting into conspiracy theory level stuff here. Mm-hmm. And then the the uh, the other thing, which is that Trump said not just that Iraq was a mistake or that uh, Iraq uh, should not have happened, but that George W. Bush and his administration lied about their justification for it, that they knew that they were telling uh, they were not telling the truth in order to get us into war where, I mean, thousands of American soldiers died. That, that is, I think, so beyond the pale for what a regular Republican who might like what Trump has to say, uh, beyond what though that kind of Republican is willing to tolerate. It starts to sound like, uh, you know, the people that these Republicans are against. And, and in, that, in, in that way, I think, it does have to hurt Trump. And, and you and I were talking that we've seen and heard from campaigns that they're seeing post-debate that this is uh, hurting Trump's numbers in South Carolina. So we'll have to see if that's the case, but it, it has to have some effect. Well, I'm a chastened political prognosticator, even though I'm from South Carolina and ran campaigns there. As far as I can tell, uh, uh, Donald Trump's saying outrageous uh, things that should insult every Republican is just feeding more, uh, you know, uranium to Godzilla. It just makes him stronger. It should, po- it would poison anyone else. So I don't know. But I did. Um, 
it is interesting, as you point out, that people are now voting and they, and they you know, kind of serious up as as voting day approaches. And to me, Donald Trump was one of those things that's like a kind of like a uh, butterfly collage of you know, everything is kind of hanging together and you don't really understand how it works or some kind of magic or something. But if it ever cracks, if one of the little magical butterfly fairies you know, falls out, the whole thing falls down. And I wonder how many people saw that what normal people would call craziness from Donald Trump. And it became more clear that the rest of the stuff he was screaming and yelling, shouting down Bush, attacking his dad, you know, and saying his mom should be running. The the other crazy stuff about Planned Parenthood does really good work. Maybe that stuff becomes more apparent. Maybe if one wheel on the Trump train starts to wobble, maybe people start taking a look at the rest of the equipment and wonder how well put together it is. I think we already saw that. Michael in in Iowa, or at least the the beginnings of that, right when Donald Trump decided not to show up for that last debate, um, and uh, and got into the the sort of media spat with Megyn Kelly and Fox News. Um, I, I don't think we'll we'll ever know for sure if that's what ended up hurting him and, and pushing him down to second place in Iowa. You know, Ted Cruz did have a very good ground game. Rubio did close strong in Iowa. But but I do think it, it played a role in that because people all of a sudden got to that point where they said, well, wait a second, is this guy actually serious? And if you're a Republican voter in South Carolina or one of these uh, March 1st, you know, SEC Super Tuesday primary states, you were watching that debate. That was the most watched debate yet uh, for the Republicans on Saturday. Uh, actually, and- the most watched in 2016. Um, it didn't have as many viewers as the uh, first debate. That's the, yes, that's- I, I'm, I'm sorry. So, so the, the most watched since people have started voting, since people have actually. Exactly, exactly. And and so you've got to be watching that. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, Donald Trump, uh, the, the sort of ranting crazy guy who's saying all of these things, um, starts to become a little more real to those voters, and and people might start start to balk. And I think we saw that in Iowa. It remains to be seen uh, if we're going to see that in South Carolina. But th- these were these were quite damaging, and, and 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 ultimately these statements sort of cut against the idea that uh, that Donald Trump is sort of. Um, you know, uh, new in politics, you know, that he's saying right. things that have never been said because he's simply repeating what Republicans have been hearing Democrats say for uh, 15 years. And there's something else, too, I think that's relevant. 9-11 isn't just another issue. 9-11 is freighted with so much emotion because of what happened that day, because of the fear people felt. I mean, one of the things that uh, it's easy to forget is when Jeb, when uh, Donald Trump said Bush didn't keep us safe and Jeb said he built a security apparatus, I don't know anyone who was an adult on 9, 12, 13, 14, and 15 who didn't expect another attack and another attack soon. You had the anthrax mailings going on and stuff. And people, there was a real sense that there were shoes yet to drop. And the fact that under President Bush, no shoes ever did is a big deal. Even if you think Bush was a terrible president, that's a a legitimate uh, talking point for for a success in the Bush presidency. And Donald Trump jumped into the middle of all of that 9-11 emotion and policy and and the partisanship on, as you pointed out, on the code pink side. And then you wrote today for the Weekly Standard about what Donald Trump actually did himself in the wake of 9-11. Right. Uh, this is this is kind of amazing. It's uh, I can't take credit for unearthing it. Um, it was originally a story published in 2006 in the uh, in the New York Daily News, and 
this is one of these things that's probably well known within the the New York, uh, a larger New York community where Donald Trump has been a big player. But uh, it was certainly news to me uh, when I found it, and I thought it was uh, really interesting. There was this uh, this fund essentially of federal money uh, that was given. Uh, in grants out to small businesses. The idea was that if you were a small business who was in and around ground zero um, and you needed uh, help getting getting set back up again, this would be a fund for you that you could apply for a, a grant. And it was you know anywhere between $80,000 and maybe $300,000 were, were the range of the grants. Uh, and the idea was to help small businesses. And there was a loophole because the state of New York was how the the federal funds were dispersed. That said, a small business was anyone under 500 employees. Um, the federal government, of course, defines small businesses also based on revenue. Um, but this wasn't the way that New York was handing out the money. And so Donald Trump, who always always wins, always finds a great deal. Uh, he he has a a subsidiary of his company that owned a building in Lower Manhattan. Uh, it's a really nice building. It, it makes 26 million dollars in annual revenue. Uh, and uh, but it had fewer than 500 people. It had you know working for the actual company sure. that leased this out, and so he applied for a hundred fifty thousand dollar loan and and loan be or sorry not loan grant federal taxpayer money funded grant uh, and got it and and uh, and I think that's that's something worth considering uh, when he's uh, talking about 9-11 and, and, of course, famously gave that very eloquent defense of New York values uh, when he talked about the aftermath of 9-11. Um, turns out he's uh, somebody who was willing to take you know a, a little bit of drop in the bucket worth of money uh, that was intended for real small businesses. $150,000 in free money? Now that's value. Uh, and <laughs> so then this brings up the, the question, and I, I, there's been a lot of grousing about it, why haven't the candidates gone after Trump for real? And I know all the talk about lanes and, you know, there's, you know, the, the primaries within the primaries, et cetera. But, Michael Warren, do you agree with those critics who say that the rise of Trump goes straight on the Republican Party? The Republican Party for, number one, their mediocre leadership uh, in the Obama era. And then, number two, not being smart enough to protect their own party from the sky by Sending, you know, by having the candidates go on and take him on, and that by letting Trump, it's one thing to say, well, it wasn't in my pragmatic interest, but having the entire Republican Party labeled the loony, you know, Mexicans are rapists, uh, you know, 9 11 was an inside job party, that's bad for everybody. And so, do you, so was this simply the case that it was no one in no one's interest, kind of what is it called? The, uh, uh, the tragedy of the, the tragedy comments. comments. Right? Yeah, is that what this is? Or, is this a failure by Republican leadership or is Donald Trump closer to the Republican Party than the other Republican candidates are? It's sort of a uh, reverse or, or a bastardization of that uh, aphorism that success has many fathers, failure is an orphan. Right. I mean, Donald Trump, I think, has many fathers in, in the sense that he uh, you can blame his rise or attribute his rise to a lot of different things and a lot of the things that you just mentioned Um it has a lot to do with the fact that the Republicans uh, have have not come up with, I think, a sufficient uh, answer to some of the real economic anxieties that Trump supporters uh, have, and 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 have uh, not just anxieties about economics, but about the political system leaving them behind. The more immediate problem that Donald Trump poses for the Republican Party, you can lay at the feet of. Of perhaps the RNC for the way they structured the debates and 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 really kind of allowed Donald Trump and the media to define them. Uh, you can lay it at 
the fact that there are just a lot of candidates that are beating up on each other and not on Donald Trump. That is one thing that I'm uh, sort of scratching my head over. People argue that, well, it's not in any candidate's best interest to attack Donald Trump. It's to be the last guy standing against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to run out of time here where <laughs> where, where that, that strategy really works out. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing play out here. I've long said that Donald Trump is only going to be beaten uh, if somebody beats him. Uh, and I, that 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 I think is is, is true. Um, but so you know, a lot of the candidates I, I think are are holding back. You're hearing little bits here and there. Jeb Bush likes to say he's the only one going after Trump, and it's somewhat true. Although he seems to to use that tagline as a way to attack his other Republican non-Trump uh, rivals. And so you do kind of have to wonder: uh, Is somebody going to have to uh, uh, you know be a kamikaze pilot here and, and destroy their own candidacy in order to destroy Trump's? Uh, I think uh, I think that that is unlikely to happen now. But uh, but we'll have to see. Well, as long as Jeb uh, is spending five times more of his money attacking Marco Rubio than he is Donald Trump, I'm not going to take his <laughs> claims of the high moral ground very seriously. Michael Warren, thanks so much for joining us for the inside skinny on what real New York values are, apparently, trutherism and free tax dollars. There, there it is, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.